and, and see, the problem with this, this demand, right, for immediate gratification is that our demand for, greedy, for immediate gratification is not content to remain in the realm of food and entertainment. It, in fact, this disdain for waiting, this disdain for the process, this demand for immediate results spills over into every aspect of our life. One author says, the way you relate, or one author says, says this, uh, the way, or because the way we relate to one sphere of our lives always impacts the way we relate to the others. One author says, the way we engage our world actually grooms us for the way we engage God. So the way that you and I engage our world is grooming us for the way that we engage God. That means that the way we relate to the world, it's, it's, it impacts the way we're relating to God. It means my impatience that I display at Starbucks because I think that I'm, this waiting is not as productive as I could be and that I could be doing better things with my time. This impatience doesn't just stay with Starbucks, but it, it flows over and, it, and it, it affects the way I relate to God. Let me ask you, have you ever found yourself feeling like time spent with God wasn't as productive as you would have hoped it could be? Have you ever been frustrated by how slowly you were changing? How long it was taking God to fix something? Maybe you're asking God for direction in your life and you have this deadline and God doesn't seem to be giving you the direction you ask as quickly as you need it. Maybe you're struggling with a temptation and you pray to God and you say, God, take this temptation away. Take this desire away. I don't even want to want this bad thing anymore. Come and take it away. And you wake up the next morning and it's still there. Maybe, maybe you struggle with anger, right? And you, you want God to change you so badly and you hate your anger and you know it's bad and you know God doesn't like your anger and you know he thinks it's bad. So you come to God and you say, we agree about this. My anger is bad. You don't like it. I don't like it. Nobody else in my life likes it. So let's be on the same team. Take it all away. Don't make me feel anger. Don't let me feel anger and I won't be angry anymore. It's like, just take away those feelings. Would you please just remove the temptation from my life? I could just picture a life without anger, and it's beautiful. Isn't that what you want? So take it away. And then he doesn't. And then it's just one more person to be angry at, right? Uh, <laughs> what on earth? How many times do I have to ask you? You know, seriously. So, uh, I mean... We feel anxious and we, we pray that God will take it away and we wake up in the morning and it's still there. Basically, I'm just saying this. How many of you have ever been frustrated at the speed of your transformation? Of how long it takes you to change from the person you are to the person you really want to be? We hear a sermon, we read something in the Bible, we feel convicted, we want to change. We tell God how badly and quickly and completely we want to change. We assume he wants the same thing for us. Be holy as I am holy. Isn't that what he wants for us, right? So why doesn't he take our bad desires away? 
Why doesn't he change us faster and more completely? Our culture has groomed us to expect immediate results. And these expectations often overflow into our relationship with God. And what does our culture teach us to do if you don't get the immediate results you're looking for? Go somewhere else. If you can't get the results you're looking for, go somewhere else. And so often, that's what you and I end up doing. That's what our culture is grooming us for. And so it's no surprise when we do that with God. We ask him for help. We seek his help. If he doesn't help, we look somewhere else. Inside, we actually sometimes even feel justified, right? Like, we gave God the first shot. If he's not going to take my anger away, I'll find something else to distract me, something else to, to help me with it. Now, if you feel like you can relate to any of these things, then tonight, today's message, this morning's message, it's, it's for you. Because the book of Mark, that's exactly what this story is meant to address. Mark chapter 8 is where we're going to be this morning. Basically, Jesus is just been riding with his disciples in a boat, and he's been confronting them about their lack of understanding. In verse 18, he says, having eyes do not see, and having ears do not hear, and do you not remember? Verse 21, he says, do you not understand? And then the very next thing Mark tells us is Jesus gets out of the boat, and they bring a blind person to him. I think, I, think, I, think, I think Mark's trying to tell us something. I think Jesus is going to use this blind, this physically blind person to be a kind of picture of spiritual blindness. It's, it's not an accident that he's talking to his disciples about spiritual blindness, steps out of the boat, and wow, there's a physically blind person right there asking for his help. So I think... We want to look at this and we want to see that how Jesus responds to this blind man, understanding that the way Jesus responds to this blind man is going to teach us about our spiritual blindness. Verse 23, and Jesus took the blind man by the hand and he led him out of the village. And when he had spit on his eyes and laid his hands on him, he asked him, do you see anything? First thing I want you to notice is Jesus' compassion for this blind man. Jesus could have healed him right away, right? How many times have we seen that? Somebody comes, boom, touches them, they're healed. He says a word, they're healed. If he really felt it was necessary to get out of town, Jesus could have told the friends, listen, I want to do this out of the town. I don't want to do this in front of people. Let's go. Could have turned and walked quickly out of the town where Jesus could have healed him. That's not what happens. Jesus takes this blind man from his friends, he puts his hand in his, he holds his hand, and he walks with him out of the town. Jesus is, 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 is it, it strikes me when I, when I, when I read this, just, just how, how personal and how intimate Jesus is with this blind man. And then he begins to communicate with him in a way that he can understand. He he spits on his eyes. Saliva was seen in that day to have uh, healing power. And so he's trying to communicate to this blind man, I am going to heal you. He's speaking to him in a language that he can understand. He touches him and he says, do you see anything? And let's be honest, 
this seems like a rhetorical question, right? Jesus goes to heal somebody and then ask them if they're healed. Do, do we even need a response, right? When Jesus heals someone, they're healed. That's the way it works. Every other time in the Bible when Jesus goes to heal somebody, they're healed immediately and they're healed completely. The lame get up and carry their mats home. They don't limp home dragging their leg. The dead get up and eat something, right? They don't like wiggle their toe and their parents jump back and be like, I think, I think they might still be alive. That's just not the way it works. When Jesus heals, he heals completely and he heals immediately. It's the way it's always been. That's why what happens in this story is meant to shock us. Because listen to what the blind man says in verse 24. He says, I see people, but they look like trees walking. Wait wait a minute, what is going on, right? It seems like this guy was totally blind, Jesus put his hand on him, and now he sees a little bit. He sees, but he sees everything blurry. People look like trees. In fact, the only reason he knows they're not trees is because he knows enough to know trees don't move. And these trees are walking. What Mark is describing is a partial healing. He's describing a completely blind man who now can see a little bit. Now he can make up objects, but he still can't see them completely. He can't see them clearly. This is unexpected. So what's happening? Is this blind man's blindness unique? Is it too difficult for Jesus to heal? Is there something behind the scenes that we don't see? Well, it's pretty obvious that that's not the case because in verse 25, then Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again and he opened his eyes and his sight was restored and he saw everything clearly. This is what we expected to happen the first time, right? But it's obvious Jesus has the power to heal him completely. The Greek speaks of seeing clearly even at a distance. Like his eyes are perfectly healed. He sees great. So what happened the first time? We know Jesus has the power to heal the first time. Anyone that can raise the dead can heal the blind the first time. So it's not a lack of power. It's a choice. Why does Jesus choose to use a process to heal this man when he could have done it instantaneously? Well, do you remember the context? Jesus has just been confronting the disciples about their spiritual blindness. And then all of a sudden, a blind man comes. And Jesus decides, I want to use this as an opportunity to teach my disciples and to teach anyone who will ever read this a little bit about spiritual blindness and spiritual sight. And so I want to look at this story and I want to mine it for what we can learn about spiritual blindness and spiritual sight because it seems clear that Jesus wants to use this healing as a parable to to teach us things about it. And I think the first truth that Jesus is trying to teach us here is that spiritual sight is a process. Spiritual sight is a process. We see it clearly in the disciples' lives, right? The disciples don't come to Jesus on day one, and all of a sudden, within an afternoon, they know he's the Messiah. He's going to die on the cross. He's going to rise again. I got it all figured out. He, 
He told me everything, done. Now we're following him, it's going to be great. Once he goes back to heaven, we'll tell everyone about it. Got it. No, right? It takes years and years. And, 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 and Jesus teaches them over and over. And some truths he has to remind them of. And, and some truths it takes them a long, long time to get. In fact, I think the placement of this story in the book of Mark is, is strategic, right? The disciples are spiritually blind on a boat. Jesus comes, heals this, spirit, this physically blind person, but he does it as a process. Next passage Peter recognizes that Jesus is the Messiah, right? And he declares to everybody. So what's that an example of? Peter has been given some spiritual sight. His eyes have been opened. It says, God showed you this. This didn't come from man. But then a moment later, what's Peter doing? He's telling him he can't die on the cross. And Jesus is rebuking him and saying, get behind me, Satan. What, what's, he, what's he saying? Even later, Peter is going to deny three times that he even knew who Jesus was. This miracle with the physically blind man was for Peter. It was trying to say to Peter, listen, just because you recognize me doesn't mean you've arrived. In fact, the whole reason Peter denies Jesus three times is because he doesn't get this. Remember, he said, I will die with you. Even if all the others walk away, I won't do it. He thinks he's arrived. He doesn't understand spiritual sight is a process and that he has more to learn and more to grow. And of course, this miracle wasn't just for Peter, it's for us. It's to remind us that spiritual sight is a process. This is a truth that I think is very difficult for us to accept. I mean, how many times have we wanted Jesus to take away our bad desires in an instant, and he doesn't. If Jesus wants me to obey him, why doesn't he just take away my temptations? If he wants me to stop looking at pornography, why doesn't he take away my lust? If he wants me to stop being angry, why doesn't he take away my, my impatience? Why, why these, He knows I can't deal with this kind of situation so why does he let this situation happen to me? I'll tell you, he doesn't because spiritual sight is meant to be a process. Spiritual change, like physical change, takes time. It doesn't happen overnight. It's a journey. Just like children take years to grow up. So God has designed spiritual transformation to take places in stages, to be a process. It's a process where instead of taking all of our bad desires away with the touch of a hand, instead God begins to open our eyes little by little so that we behold Jesus more and more clearly and find him to be better and better than the other things that we're longing for. Paul talks about it in 2 Corinthians 3.18. He says, we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree to another. You see how transformation comes in stages. It's a process. It goes from one degree to another, and it takes place through spiritual sight, through seeing, beholding Jesus more and more clearly. So the first thing we see, spiritual sight is a process. But the second truth is really important. 
It's a process that Jesus will finish. The blind man may not have got his sight back all at once, but he got it all back. Can you imagine Jesus asking the blind man if he could see anything? And the blind man saying, yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah, I can, I can. I see people, they're, they're kind of like trees walking around. And then Jesus saying, praise God. I mean, praise God, that is so much better than when you just came to me a minute ago, right? You used to not be able to see anything. Isn't this amazing? Now you can see people like trees. Dude, praise God, go, go and just rejoice in what God has given you. Be so thankful that things are so much better than they were, right? We can't picture Jesus doing that because he wouldn't do that. We know if Jesus starts to heal somebody, he finishes the process. We know that from the moment Jesus takes the blind man by the hand, the story ends with him seeing everything clearly. We know that. Sometimes we can be surprised by how he does it and why he takes, does it the way he does it, but the end is certain the moment he takes the blind man's hand. See, the scariest part of any journey is the fear that you might not get to the destination. The most frightening part of any battle is the possibility that you might lose. But here we see clearly, once Jesus begins a work in us, he does not stop until it's finished. Philippians 1.6 makes this clear where Paul says, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion on the day of Christ Jesus. I think Paul kind of summarizes this entire message uh, in, in 1 Corinthians 13, 11 through 12, when he says, When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. And when I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. Notice the way Paul understands he takes the physical and the way the transformation takes time, and the way that it, it's a process, and he applies it to the spiritual. Right now, we know in part, but one day all of our questions will be answered. Here's the thing. The desire of your heart to change is a good desire. The desire to be free from temptation the prayer that God would take it away. Those are good desires. Those are fine prayers. And I'm here to tell you that God is going to answer them. There will be a day when you won't be angry anymore. There will be a day when you'll never lose your temper, never look at something you shouldn't, never complain or grumble or argue again. A day when... You'll no longer respond inappropriately to conflict. A day is coming. Your prayers will be answered. But that day has not come yet. Right now we live in a world of temptation. Right now we live in a world where, where the battle continues to wage all around us. So the question that we're faced with is, how do we live in this blurry world while we wait for new eyes? How do we wait in this blurry world? All of you, you're, you're, you're here today even because 
because God has begun to, to pull back, and you see more now than you once did, but still things are blurry. Still we see dimly as in a mirror. How do we live in this dim mirror world while we wait to see things clearly? And it's sweet because I think this story answers the question for us. What does the blind man in this story do while he waits to receive his sight? The first thing the blind man does is he lets Jesus take him by the hand and lead him. Here's the thing. We want so badly to see everything for ourselves. We want so badly to have all the answers. We want so badly to understand We want so badly for the temptations to be removed. Have you ever wondered, though, we we don't get why God would do it this way. We think our way would be way better if if we'd never got angry. We think if you can, we know God can heal. We think he should. We wonder why he does it. But have you ever wondered if some of your desire to not have temptation, some of your desire to be free of the battle, if some of that desire is less so that you would be holy and more so that you could be independent. You see, without temptation, we could be good without God. But you see, the blind man didn't need to see clearly the moment Jesus took him by the hand. He was going to be okay the moment Jesus took him by the hand. He didn't need eyes. Jesus could. Jesus has eyes. Jesus could see. Jesus had him by the hand. He wasn't going to trip. He wasn't going to fall. He wasn't going to get lost. Jesus was going to lead him where he needed to go. We want eyes so we can walk by ourselves. But here Jesus comes and he says, I want to lead you by the hand. Do you know what's shocking about this? Consider the intimacy of this story. You don't hear about the disciples holding Jesus' hand and going for walks. This blind man walks with Jesus, holding his hand. There's an intimacy here that we see so, so rarely that's just beautiful the moment that he takes his hand, he, he's with Jesus. He's safe. He, he feels this stillness, this sweetness, this intimacy. He's walking with Jesus, holding his hand. One of the reasons Jesus doesn't instantaneously give us spiritual sight is because there are lessons that he wants us to learn first. Lessons best learned by the blind. And that lesson is to trust him. The lesson is to let him take our hands and lead us. You don't need to understand everything as long as the one who has you by the hand does. You don't need to see everything clearly as long as the one who has you by the hand does. You see, here's the thing. You and I use temptations as an excuse to sin, but that's not what they were designed to be used for. They were designed to be used as an excuse to depend on Jesus. That same temptation you're trying to get rid of can be used by God to draw you closer to him.
in England, there was a time that the king came down with a mortal illness and the people were in turmoil wondering what they were going to do without their king and they all gathered to hear him give a speech and he said this, I said to the man at the gate of the earth, give me a light that I might walk safely into the unknown. And he said to me, go out into the darkness and put your hand into the hand of God and it shall be for you safer than the light and better than the known. This is how you and I are called to live in a blurry world. This is how we're called to live in a world full of temptation where we see things dimly. When temptations rage, when anxieties overwhelm, when angers threaten, when lust lurks, when darkness surrounds, we are to take our hands and place them into the hands of our Savior and know for certain it's safer than the light and it's better than the known. Better a temptation to anger with a hand in Jesus than no temptation walking on our own. So in a desire for immediate results, do not miss the intimacy that Jesus offers on the journey. It is right to want to be at the destination. There's nothing wrong with it. Even so, come quickly. You can pray for it. But don't let it distract you. Don't let it, don't let it distract you from the intimacy that God offers on the journey. One day you will see him clearly. Right now you get to hold his hand. There's no faith in heaven. Isn't that what he says in, 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 in Corinthians 13? Right now, it's a privilege to live by faith. It's a demonstration of love and trust. Don't you love it when your kids trust you? Isn't it sometimes a sweeter experience for them to trust you than for you to answer all their questions until they understand it perfectly? There's things we get to communicate by trust that won't be able to be communicated any other way. Communicate them now. Show them you trust them in the midst of a broken world. Live by faith while you get the chance. There's an intimacy that, that we don't want to miss out on. I love Psalm 73, verse 23 through 24. It says, Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, and afterwards you will receive me to glory. You see the process? He doesn't instantaneously receive us to glory because he wants to lead us by the hand first. He wants to be with us in the battle. He wants to guide us on the journey. He wants to walk hold our hand as we walk through the valley of the shadow of death and when the time is right he will receive us to glory so how do we live in a blurry world first we take our savior by the hand second the second thing we learn from this blind man is we need to be honest about our need Jesus lays his hand on this blind man, and then he asks him what he sees, and the blind man tells him, I see people, but they look like trees 
walking. So often you and I, we pretend. We, we think we should be transformed so much faster than we are that we feel the need to pretend that we've been transformed faster than we have been. What if this blind man thought that he was supposed to be able to see and he didn't want to offend Jesus and make him look bad and he said, oh, it's beautiful, thank you, and gave him a hug. He would have went home looking at walking trees for the rest of his life. It would have been miserable. He had the guts to be honest about his need. Yes, what you did helped, but I need more. I need more. Pretending to be better than you are will never lead you to be better than you are. It keeps you where you are or or it makes you worse because if you can get away with pretending, then you don't even have to be. We need to be honest about where we're at. We need to be honest about our weaknesses, about our failures. We need to confess our sins. This man is honest with Jesus about his weakness, and then he waited for Jesus to finish what he started. Of course, depending on Jesus this way, right, holding his hand when we can't see, and telling the truth about our weaknesses and our sins, they require trust, right? They require that we believe that that Jesus is not going to lead us astray and that he's going to be able to fix us completely. So I'm going to end the message this morning by reminding you why it is that we can trust Jesus and why it is that we can trust him even when he doesn't give us the instantaneous results we're looking for. First thing I want you to see is you can trust Jesus because he understands the journey. I think this should blow us away. If anyone in the universe deserved instantaneous results, who was it? It was Jesus. Right? Jesus, if anyone deserved to skip the journey, right? To clep out, right? Like you want to clep out of some college classes. If anyone deserved to clep out of the journey, Right? To, to, Je- ironically, Jesus started at the destination. So if anyone didn't need to make the journey, it was Jesus. And he didn't need to make the journey. He was in the destination. John 1.18, living for all eternity in the bosom, in the lap of God the Father. That's the destination. He was there. But Jesus humbled himself to the point of being willing to come down and be a part of the journey that you and I are always thinking we shouldn't have to submit ourselves to. Why do we think we should never have temptation if Jesus went through 33 years of temptation? What makes us think God should take it all away from us? He didn't take it away from his son. Whatever Hebrews means when it says he learned, he, he, he learned through what he suffered, right? 
Whatever that means, it means there was a process that he submitted himself. He grew. Physically, he submitted himself to the process. He, temptations. He submitted himself to the process. He, he knows the journey. Hebrews 4.14, right? We have a high priest who has been tempted in the same way, just like us. In fact, in fact, there was a time There was a time when Jesus submitted himself so completely to the process that he closed his eyes completely. And darkness surrounded him. And do you know what he had to do? He had to put his hand into the hand of his father. Isn't that what he says on the cross? Into your hands, I commit my spirit. Jesus knows what it's like to live by faith, to reach out and put his hand in the hand of God because he couldn't see him. To entrust that his God would finish what he started. And he wouldn't let him, his holy one, see decay. When Jesus calls us to respond to the darkness that surrounds us by taking taking his hand, he is not calling you and I to do anything he hasn't already done. Jesus knows what it's like to be blind. He knows what it's like to be dependent. He's experienced temptation. He knows suffering. He's acquainted with grief. He's made the journey, and now he offers to take you and I by the hand and to lead us faithfully where we need to go. Not only is Jesus familiar with the journey, but Jesus finishes what he came to do. John 17, 4, Jesus says, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work you gave me to do. And then in John 19, 30, as Jesus hung upon the cross, he said, it is finished. The cross is supposed to show you how committed God is to finishing the work. So committed that he'd give his only son. Jesus, so committed to finishing what he starts that he won't get off the cross until it's taken his last breath. If the cross can't stop Jesus from finishing what he started, I can assure you there never will be a bigger obstacle. I see you have nothing to worry about. The cross didn't stop him from finishing what he started. Your weaknesses won't stop him. Your stubbornness won't stop. He who began a good work is going to finish it. That's what Jesus' death and resurrection show us. They show us that our God finishes what he starts. 
Just like God didn't leave Jesus' body in the tomb, but instead he raised him up from the dead and he gave him a new body that will never die again. So we can know for certain that once God has opened our eyes to see Jesus, even blurry, he will not stop showing us more and more of Jesus until the day we see him face to face. Listen to what John says in 1 John 3, 2. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we will be like him because we will see him as he is. There's a hymn that I love. It says, all now mysterious shall be bright at last. Right now we see things dimly as in a mirror, but soon we will see our Savior face to face. We will be like him, for we will see him as he is. Your prayers will be answered in God's time, in his way. Right now, don't miss the intimacy of the journey. Until then, 1 John 3, 3 says, And everyone who hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Until we see our Savior face to face, put your hope in him. Repent when you fail and take his hand once again and let him lead you. Will you do that this morning? Will you stop demanding that God fix everything in your life immediately? And will you take his hand and let him lead you? Even when it's dark, even when temptations rage, even when we don't understand, take your Savior's hand. You see, here's the thing. When you pray, when, 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 you, when you ask God to take away all temptation, right, and you think that he should, and then he doesn't. Do you know what creeps into your heart? Distrust for God. Frustration at God. I ask him to take it away and he didn't. And what does distrust in God? Distrust in God keeps us from holding his hand and it sets us off to give in to the temptation. That's why some of what I'm trying to do is just give you a better understanding for how God designed it so that you know that he has a purpose for not always taking all your temptations away. So that you can see it's not that he doesn't care about me that he let me be tempted. It's not that he doesn't hear my prayers that he's letting me be tempted. It's not that he's off doing something else that this temptation snuck in the back door. It's that he has his hand down there and he wants me to live by faith and take his hand. And he wants this temptation to wake me up to the fact that without his hand, I won't make it. When we understand that, then all of a sudden, instead of temptation making us frustrated with God and putting seeds of doubt in us, temptation opens our eyes to our need and can drive us quicker and more fully into his loving hands. So will you do that this morning? Will you take the hand of your Savior? Will you acknowledge, God, I wish you'd take my temptation away, but not my will, your will be done. I'd rather walk with my hand in yours than see clearly by myself.
You can be patient with the process because the end is so certain. You see what I'm saying? You don't have to, to, let, to let the slowness of the process fill you with fear or anxiety. Amen? Dear Jesus, thank you that you submitted to the process. Thank you that you left the destination and came to earth so that you could take us with you. You came near so that you could take our hands and walk us back to the place that we've been running from. Thank you. We don't deserve it. Thank you. Thank you for your patience. Thank you for your forgiveness. Every time we fall down, your hand is there to pull us up like the Peter in the ocean. When we take our eyes off you and we start to sink, you're right there for us to grab your hand and you'll walk us back to the boat. Lord, may we be a people that are content to walk the temptations of life with our hand in yours, knowing that with you, as long as you can see, as long as you're with us, we don't have to be afraid. Thank you that you will finish what you started. Thank you that you understand what temptations are like. Lord, change us. Draw us more to yourself. Stop using, stop letting us use temptation as excuses to sin and instead help us to use temptations as reasons to run to you. God have mercy on us. We need you. We cannot make it on our own. In Jesus' name, amen.